They turned the lights on and caught me with, uh, um, I know there's a bunch of different stuff out there, but y'all, you got to holler if you hear me. Those of you who are Reese's fans, like you got to make some noise right now. Mm, can I get another one of those? Who's got Reese's left? Probably not, because they're probably all taken. I don't want to take your Reese's. I don't, no, I don't want that one. There it is, right there. You threw me a Jolly Rancher, man. That is not a Reese's. That's all right. That is God's. Thank you so much. Sweet mercy. My goodness. This thing, we're talking about worship right now. This, this could be an act of worship right here, I'm telling you. Eating one of these things. I won't eat it right now because it's, it's peanut butter, and you know how like when the dog like does that thing? So I'm going to save that for later. Um, hey, welcome to the living room. I know you've been welcomed many times already, um, but I just want to be like the third or fourth person to welcome you here, and uh, just so excited to be here tonight, so excited to be jumping in um, to part two of the naturals tonight. Naturals. We got any naturals in the room? What are you natural at? Natural hair. I like that. <laughs> she said, hey, all right. <laughs> The naturals, that's what we're talking about tonight. You know, there's a lot of things that we can talk about when we think about this idea of naturals. Um, And it's this idea just that we are all naturally gifted with certain things. We're all naturally gifted with certain talents, with certain abilities. Um, We got people who are gifted with athletic ability. We're my athletes in the room. Yeah, scholarship athletes, some of you in here. Some of you not quite scholarship, but but you play good, though. (laughs) Some of you are naturally gifted with musical ability. My singers in the room, there you go. Yeah, come on, like, ready to go. Some of you are naturally abifted, uh, abifted. Some of you are naturally gifted with mathematic ability. (laughs) See, I knew I could come down here today and talk about that because a lot of you are at Georgia State and Georgia Tech and you guys just do math all the time. I just, I'm, I'm not, I went to the University of Georgia and I'm not gifted with math. Like I just, that's not my thing. More power to you guys. I'm so glad. Uh, we could go down a whole laundry list of things that we are naturally gifted at. Uh, but there's one thing that we're all naturals at. And it's this idea of worship. Now you may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't know about that. Especially those of you who are here for the first time. You're thinking like, bro, I just came in here tonight and you're diving in heavy like talking about how I'm a natural at worship. Like I see people putting their hands up, but I wasn't ready to do that yet. I'm not a natural, but we're all naturally gifted with the ability to worship. We're all designed to worship something or someone. And that's what this series that ends tonight, actually, this is the last part of the series. That's what we're talking about is that we're all naturally gifted to worship something or someone. As a matter of fact, you can all name people that we all have a tendency to gravitate toward, that we naturally will worship Our culture is obsessed with people, with certain things in our lives. For some of you, it's social media. For some of you, it's your phone. For some of you, it's your school. For some of you, it's it's another person. It's your boyfriend or it's your girlfriend or fiance or whoever. We are naturally given the ability to worship something. Bob Dylan himself said it years ago when he said, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to. Nobody knows that. Come on. You're going to have to serve somebody. That's a Bob Dylan song from way back in the day. Please tell me y'all know who Bob Dylan is. (laughs) Matt, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Go look it up. Got to serve somebody. That was a song that Bob Dylan, one of the most all-time, in some people's minds, greatest singers, and well, not a great singer, but great writer song. Anyway, I digress. So he said that we're all designed naturally to worship something or someone. The problem is... 
when we decide or when we move toward worshiping something that we were never intended to worship. And so tonight, I want to take this idea of worship and I want to put it back kind of in the place where it is, it is where it should be. You know, like back in the kind of the bigger, the broader, the more grandiose place that it should be the appropriate place that worship should be in our lives. Because here's most of us when we think about worship, when it pertains to the church, maybe most of you have thought this, maybe a lot of you haven't, if it's your first time or if you are not really familiar with the church. But I would say that that those of you who have been around the church, when you think about worship, you think about what we just did a few minutes ago. You think about the songs. And as a matter of fact, some of you, uh, maybe when you were invited to come to the living room, you maybe asked your friend, well, what's the living room all about? And your friend told you, well, it's, you know, we're going to go and there's going to be free food. So that's great. Like you should come because that's always, and that alone is worth it right there. You know, college student, hello. I'm going to come get free food and then we're going to, you know, mingle with some friends and stuff. We're going to go into kind of this big group setting where there's going to be a lot of people. And then um, somebody's going to get up and he's going to be like the host. He's going to kind of welcome everybody. And then we're going to sing a song maybe or something like that. The band's going to be really, really great. And then they're going to go to a time of worship. And then after that time of worship, this guy's going to get up on the stage. He's going to be a really good looking dude, by the way. And then after, wor- after he gets done, then there's going to be some more worship on the back end of the speaking. And then we'll get out of here because the buses leave at 920. We got to make sure we get back on there. Um, so that we can get back to our dorm, right? That's how some of you uh, experienced the description of what the living room was. And so for a lot of us, we have a tendency to do this to worship. We compartmentalize it, right? We have a tendency to compartmentalize worship. What I mean by compartmentalize with worship is that we have a tendency to limit it to a specific time, uh, a specific place, and a specific space, much like we just did just a little while ago. So we would say, oh, yeah, we're going to have a time of worship. We have nights of worship. I'm a, a high school pastor up at Woodstock City Church, which is one of our churches up north. Yeah, some, some of my people are here. Hey, what's up? And so uh, the, the students will come to me a lot of times. They're just like, hey, we love everything that's happening with Inside Out. That's the name of our environment. Um, but could we do more worship? And I'm like, well, the whole thing is kind of worship, you know? <laughs> but they're meaning the singing. They mean, hey, we want to sing more. We want to do more worship songs. And that's great. But I think it was intended to be much bigger than that and how we compartmentalize this. But it only makes sense that we would compartmentalize worship in our lives because we're all really good about compartmentalizing everything in our lives. I'll tell you what I mean. We have a tendency to put everything in our lives in its place. We have certain boundaries for certain things. We don't want any kind of spillover between this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. We have dividers that we place in our lives and in our mind space to make sure that everything has its place and there's a place for everything so that we can keep focused and we can do everything that we got to do in a proper way. It looks a little bit like this. So um, I I have a a family um, and I want to show them to you really quick. This is this is my incredibly adorable family right here. This is this big oaf right here. Uh, that's my wife, Jamie. Um, this guy is Mason right here. He's going to be five in just about a month. And then this guy right here, uh, that is Rowan. Um, he is five weeks old as of yesterday. And uh, he is literally the reason why if I stumble over my words at all tonight, um, because he doesn't sleep at night. He sleeps during the day really, really well. But this guy is keeping us up. But this, this is my family, and um, he was actually on the inside of here uh, this past summer when we moved three times. Three times we moved in a matter of about three months. Long story short, we moved out of our house into storage because the house we were moving into wasn't ready yet. 
Once we finally got it ready, we moved out of storage into that house. There were some health concerns with that house, and so we had to move up out of there after 40 days into the house that we now live in. So we're finally settled. We're finally in a place where we're like, okay, we can survive now. But we moved three times, and I'll tell y'all right now, and I know somebody in here hears me when I say I hate moving. I hate it. Y'all are college students. You know about this. Apartment after apartment after house after condo. I mean, you just move all the time. Imagine when you got four people's worth of equipment and, and stuff that you've, you've gotten, and you have to do the, the worst part of moving, which is what? Packing. Packing is the worst part of moving. Thank God I married a woman who is very detail-oriented, and she loves doing stuff like that. She loves to pack things. But the part that I hate the most about packing is not just the moving of things, because, I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty strong dude, and I can lift some stuff, and I can throw it into a truck. The part that I really hate is when you have to take, like, the delicate glass things, and you have to wrap them and make sure each and every little thing has its thing. But Home Depot, who's sponsoring tonight, just kidding, just kidding. You'll have to forgive my ghetto setup, all right? I work on a church salary, so just be, bear with me here. They came up with this thing right here. This thing is one of the greatest things that you could ever have when you're moving glass items and fragile equipment, okay? So you just take this thing, you stick it in the box. And I just want to demonstrate to you, I mean, if you think about all the things in your life that you have a tendency to compartmentalize, right? For instance, oh, goodness. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Family, like you compartmentalize your family. You put that into one place in your life. Your work life, oh, I gotta keep work separate from family. I'm gonna stick that in there just like this. School, some of you are just like, I gotta keep work separate from family, separate from school. We're gonna do that right there. For some of you, you have like a friends group, right? But you've got multiple friends groups, so you gotta keep friend group one separate <laughs> from friends group two. Like you can't, they can't, they can't cross up. That's not, <laughs> not a lot. you know what I'm talking about, okay? Some of your relationships are things that you compartmentalize. You, you take those and you got to keep them separate from everything else. You don't want your family to know about your relationship because they don't really approve, and so we got to make sure we keep some boundaries there, okay? Your fraternity or sorority. I don't even want to touch that. Your money. You keep it compartmentalized. Sports. We talked about athletics and those of you who are athletic and gifted with that natural ability. Your hobbies, things that you like to do for fun, and then, of course, faith and God, and worship. And we're really, really good at compartmentalizing things. And we do this with so many aspects of our lives. And here's the thing. I, I want to break this thing down a little bit more um, between guys and girls. Because, see, guys, here's the thing. And ladies, you'll, you'll appreciate this. You'll probably understand what I'm talking about. Guys, I know you'll feel me. If you were to open a guy's brain... We're really, really good at compartmentalizing things because we literally have just boxes that we can live in, that we can jump in and out of, okay? But here's the thing. We can only spend time really in like one box at a time, okay? So for instance, like if you open a guy's brain and you go in here and say, okay, I'm going to open this box and you know, these are some books. So like maybe it's, this is representing work life. You know, like when I'm talking about work life, when I'm at work, when I'm in work, like I'm in it. That's all I'm doing. I don't want to have to deal with anything else. This is work time. Don't bother me with anything else. Okay. If I'm going to go somewhere else, I got to package that back up, put that back in there. Okay. Cause now it's time for me to go somewhere else. Like I'm going to go to my sports life, right? And when it's sports time, it's sports time. Ladies, when it's sports time, it's sports time. 
okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if I'm, if I'm watching TV, I don't need you coming talking to me about, like, what we need to do as far as draperies and stuff like that. You'll get there. I know you're not there yet. I'm just saying, when I'm in this time, I'm in this time, okay? We just, we can only be in one box at a time. One caveat to this, though. Food, food can go in and out of boxes as much as it wants. Like, we can be wherever we want to be with food. We can do both of those things at the same time, okay? But we're really good at this. And here's the other thing about guys. We have the ability, literally, to have a box that is filled with nothing. <laughs> this is our favorite box. I mean, we're like, hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the box where we go and you ask us, hey, what are you thinking about? <laughs> huh? We literally can be in a box that is nothing. That's our nothing box. And for a lot of us, it's our favorite box in the world. We have the ability to do that. Ladies, we're just simple beings, okay? We're just simple beings, us guys. Ladies, a little bit different. If you were to open up a lady's brain, you're going to get every single thought Throughout your entirety of life. This is all your thoughts, all intertwined, all together, they all connect, everything runs together. You could try to pull something out of here, but it's gonna be attached to something else. Like, this is how a lady's brain works. You don't have the ability necessarily just to go out of one box into another box because everything is circled around. Ladies, tell me if you've been here before. You go home, you've had a hard day. And you're like, I gotta make some brownies. I just gotta make some brownies and I need to sit down, okay? And you go in there and you get distracted and you burn the brownies. And what do you do? <laughs> Somebody comes in, why are you crying? Because I burnt the brownies. It's not because you burnt the brownies. It's because of something else that happened earlier in the day or earlier in the month or three years ago that somehow got baked into the brownies. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you guys, but you got to admit you're there sometimes. And I can only imagine that it's difficult because you guys are so beautifully, intricately made, so much more intricately than a man, okay? That's why that is. I can imagine that that's difficult to deal with all the time. So it's a little bit more difficult for the ladies in the room to compartmentalize everything, but we still do it. We all still do it. It really comes down to a psychological process. This is, this is our way of coping with things. This is our way of making the complexities of life just a little bit easier. It's a way of kind of breaking things down so that everything that's coming to me, that when I have this ball of things that is going on in my head, I can hopefully compartmentalize something to make it a little bit easier. Some of you, when you graduate college in a year or two or three or six, that you're going you're gonna to eventually get married and you're going to have a family and you're going to hear this word, you know, this work-life balance. And that's going to be one of those things that you're going to really have to fight for. You're going to have to fight to keep work at work. You're going to have to fight to keep uh, your home life at home and try not to let the two lines blur too much. So compartmentalization is not always a bad thing. But 
it becomes potentially a bad thing when we start to compartmentalize something that was never intended to be compartmentalized. And that's when we talk about our faith. It's when we talk about God. It's when we talk about worship. Worship was never meant to be compartmentalized. As a matter of fact, last week we talked about this idea. Worship is a response to who God is and to what he's done. And so with everything that we know about compartmentalization, about the fact that we divide everything up, we put everything in its place, and this can't touch this, and there can't be any spillover, because that's how I, in my human form, am trying to make sense of everything that's going on in my life. And we know that worship is a response to who God is and what he's done. When we compartmentalize worship, we compartmentalize and we limit our response to who God is and to what he's done for us. And that can be tragic in our lives. And that's not what Paul intended when he began to describe what worship should look like for you and for me. Because Paul, the Apostle Paul, Paul who followed Jesus, uh, Paul who, who, who was a part of the early church and went from town to town sharing everything about Jesus that he could in order to get others to follow him. Paul said, hey, this is the way worship should be. It should be much bigger than that. It should be much grander than that. It should be much more grandiose than what you're thinking about it just being a song. It just being this one little thing that's in this tiny little compartment. And we find evidence of this in a letter that he wrote to the Romans. Uh, It's in chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, all the brothers and the sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is your true and proper worship. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, this wise, wise man, he's saying I urge you, in view of God's mercy, our response to who God is and to what he's done is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I want to take a look at this word right here for just a second, this word mercy. A lot of you have heard this word throughout your life. Maybe for some of you, it's the first time you've ever seen it. Oh, what's mercy? But I bet some of you have experienced mercy in your life before. Maybe some of you have given mercy to someone else. Mercy is that thing that we or someone else withhold from someone else who deserves that thing. I'll break it down a little bit more. You've wronged someone in the past. And instead of just lighting you up and giving you everything that you deserve in that moment, yelling at you, disowning you, like writing you off, whatever you deserved in that moment for wronging, yeah, whatever you you deserve in that moment for wronging that person, they could come after you hard. But they said, no, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you mercy. And if you've been the recipient of that, you know how humbling that is. You know how it feels to have someone on the other side who has every right to let you have it, to step back and say, nah, I'm going to show you mercy. I care about you more than that. Take that and multiply it by a trillion billion, all right? I told you, I have a five-year-old. That's just how I think sometimes. (laughs) Multiply that time after time after time after time, magnitude after magnitude after magnitude, and that's what God did for each and every one of us. When we think about this word mercy, see, here's the thing. Each and every one of us came into this world with a little problem, really a big problem, and it's called sin. 
And this idea of sin is the fact that we are imperfect. It's that thing that makes you do things that you know you shouldn't do. It's that thing that, that, that makes you say things and think things that you shouldn't say and think and act on things that you shouldn't act on, and it gets further and further. I mean, that's just scratching the surface of what sin is in our lives. But sin is that thing that separates us because we're imperfect from a perfect God. And Paul tells us earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if the wages of sin is death, each and every one of us deserves death. We have earned death by, by our sin, by our imperfection. And God said, you know what? Uh-uh. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm not going to let you go down like that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to withhold what you deserve. I'm going to withhold from you what you deserve. I'm going to send my son Jesus to come and die on a cross for you to be in your place because you deserve to be on that cross. You deserve to die. And I'm going to send him instead because I love you and I want to be with you and I want to be in a relationship with you. So he's going to be the one to stand in your place and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And he's going to die full human death. And then he's going to rise again three days later and he's going to overcome that death so that it annihilates it. And in that moment, we gained full acceptance by God. And that's a huge idea. That's a huge idea. Thank you. <laughs> so we have full acceptance. There's no deniability. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And that is this mercy right here. So when we take a step back and we look at, when we take a step and look and say, in view of God's mercy, this incredible, incredible word that's packed with so much meaning, it's packed with so much love for us. When we look at this, our response should be to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that that's our true and proper worship. When we talk about the bodies, bodies just is simply saying, take all of this. If you were to look at this is your, your body of work, this is your body, this is your life, this is everything that you compartmentalize and you put together and you, you, you separate and you stack in there and you pack and all that kind of stuff and saying, God, I'm going to take this and I'm going to give every single bit of it to you. That's an act of worship right there. We talk about living sacrifice. I love the word picture that is a living sacrifice. The Old Testament talks about how uh, people would offer dead animals as a sacrifice, as, a, as an act of worship. But the thing about those dead animals is that that was a, a, an animal that's void of life. Each and every one of us is full of life. And you may be walking through life, maybe not feeling like you're full of life, but you have life. And if you have life and you're still on this earth, then God has a purpose for you. Somebody need to hear that. I'm just saying. God has a purpose for you and you're walking and you're living here. You're a breathing animal. And therefore, because you're not void of life, he's saying we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, sacrificially giving every part of us to him. Holy and pleasing, this is your true and proper worship. True just meaning it's without blemish. True just meaning it's pure. It's offering everything. It's offering all of it. It's not trying to hold on to any of it. And then proper, your proper worship. Proper just essentially saying this is the only thing that's appropriate. This is our only appropriate response. It's a crazy idea to think about taking everything, my plans, my goals, my dreams, the things that I want for my life, and saying, take it. That's a scary, crazy idea, especially for those of you who've been through some stuff in life, especially for those of you who have trust issues already, especially for those of you who have a hard time saying, I'm going to give somebody else mercy because nobody else has ever shown me any mercy in my life. That's scary. But yet the God of the universe showed mercy. 
to each and every one of us. And so it's only proper for us to unleash the things that we're holding on to, to let go of the things, my plans, my dreams, my hopes, my desires, and say, God, I'm, I'm giving them to you. I'm trusting you with it. I love how this verse is translated. There's a bunch of different translations of the Bible and these Bible verses, and the message is one that just kind of dumbs it down. It says this, <clears throat> take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. I feel like Paul's kind of mocking us in this translation, right? He's like saying, oh, you're just living your dumb life. Take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Simple, cut and dry, to the point, this is what you should do. Take ordinary and everyday and allow him to make it extraordinary. Because he's the only one that can and when we can do that, worship is suddenly not just a song that we sing, but it becomes the soundtrack of our lives. It becomes our at-bat music. It becomes that jam that comes on when you're rolling through life. It infiltrates every part of what you do, every part of your being, everything that you think, everything that you say, everything that you act upon. It becomes that thing. Worship infiltrates every part of it. And when we take Paul's words seriously, then we take who we are, we take what we have, and we lay it at the altar of God and say, it's yours. And so thinking of this idea of worship being our response to who God is and to what he's done, it means this. It's a response to who God is and what he's done expressed in the way that we work. Some of you hate your jobs. Some of you hate what you do. Some of you have a boss that just comes down on you all the time. I've been there. It's a miserable, miserable experience. But it means even in that, God's gifted you with something. God wants you to be a light, maybe in his or her life, maybe in the lives of those around you, the way you work. It means worship is a response to who God is and what he's done expressed in the way we study. Some of you are on scholarship, and some of you aren't acting like you're on scholarship. Our act of worship is to offer every part of us respectfully, knowing that that's something that God has gifted you with, that he could have given to anybody else. You may be sitting next to somebody who's sitting there going, gosh, I'm having to pay my own way through college. I'm probably going to have to take next semester off so I can save up some more money so I can just get through this, this whole experience. Some of you, maybe that's a way that you need to work on how you worship. Worship is a response to who God is and what he's done expressed in the way that we talk. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Some of y'all need to zip it up a little bit. <laughs> Worship is a response to who God is and what he's done expressed in the way that we date. If you only want something from the other person in the way that you date, you're doing it wrong. You should want something for them. You should want to be for them. It's a response to who God is and what he's done expressed in the way that we think. Finally, it's a response to who God is and what he's done expressed in the way that you and I love others. And God knows this country needs way more love than we're showing right now. Can you imagine what it would be like 
if we would simply look at this one right here. If our country would simply look at this one right here. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if everybody who's so willing to fight for what they believe, and there's nothing wrong with that, but instead of trying to put the other person down, instead of trying to separate and divide and to stand on your ground, what if we just say, hey, you know what? I'm going I'm to take a step in your direction really quick. I'm going to choose to love you in this moment. Because guess what? That's what God did for us. He chooses every day to love us even though we're imperfect. He shows us that mercy. And the only response that is appropriate from you and from me is to offer every part of us as a living sacrifice. That is worship. It's not just a song. It's a soundtrack. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much that you desire us. God, that you chase after us with every part of your being. Lord, that you've demonstrated to us an ultimate love that, that not a single one of us could ever trump, could ever overexpress, could ever exaggerate. We can't exaggerate your character. We can't exaggerate your mercy. It just is. It's the biggest it will ever be. All we can do is respond in a way that says, I am grateful for who you are and for what you've done in my life. And God, as Paul tells us, that in itself is our act of worship. So God, tonight we say collectively, Lord, asking that you would meet each one of us where we are. I'm not naive enough to think that everybody in the room would be willing to say this outright with every part of their being right now. But God, I just want to speak this over this crowd tonight, that tonight we would say, God, we trust you. Lord, with every breath that we breathe, with every beat of our heart, with everything that we have, we trust you with our lives. We don't want to compartmentalize worship anymore. We want to give it all to you. Help us in our pursuit of that each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.